0: All right, I want to welcome everybody here this morning. If you're in the back of the room, can you give me just a quick thumbs up if you can hear me? All right, if you do not have a study guide under your chair this morning, if you could do a quick favor and hold up a hand, and we'll have some of the extras in the front make their way to the back. It's going to help you follow along this morning. Alright, as those are making their way back, I want to welcome everyone to Grace Community Church this morning. And what we've been doing for the past couple of months now is we've been studying through the book of Acts together on Sunday mornings. So we made it to Acts chapter 2 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there. Acts chapter 2. And what we're about to do is we're about to pray together And we're about to ask God to meet with us and bless the teaching of his word. And I invite you to pray with me all across the room. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you needy this morning. And you said that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, we need your word this morning. God, we need it for life. We need it for sustenance, for nourishment, God. We need you to speak to us, Lord, through your word. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God, do that today, Lord. We are gathered together in this place in the name of Jesus, and we ask, God, that you would come meet with us, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word, and that you would equip us, Lord. You say that the unfolding of Your Word gives light and that it imparts understanding to the simple. Do that today, God. Bear witness to the truth of Your Word, God. Let light break upon eyes this morning, Lord. Help us to understand things about You that we didn't understand walking into this place. Impart understanding to the simple, Lord. Make them wise today. Give them wisdom from heaven. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. God, do that today, Lord. Revive our hearts this morning. Let us hear from you today. Draw near to us, Lord, and help us to hear your word today in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's read our text together this morning. We're going to cover Acts chapter 2, verse... 42 through verse 47. Let's read it together. It's the Word of God. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. It's the word of God to Grace Community Church this morning. Let's remind ourselves this morning that we're in the midst of Acts chapter 2. And we spent several weeks studying through the day of Pentecost. Okay, And our passage today picks up on the aftermath of Pentecost. This, is, this passage today shows us the effects of the Spirit of God being poured out on His church. And so we're going to think about that together. Think about some themes that are running through um, the book of Acts. And so let's think together about Pentecost. What happened on this day Brothers and sisters, the spirit of God was poured out and we studied that together. We studied that this same Jesus on the day of Pentecost, the same Jesus that was crucified, the same Jesus that was resurrected from the dead, that same Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And on that day, he began to reign as king of God. Over all as Lord of the universe, as God over everything that he has made. And so Pentecost gives us a glimpse to what Jesus is doing at the right hand of God. Jesus is still reigning at the right hand of God today. Even as I'm speaking to you, he's a king sitting on his throne and he's reigning. And so let's think about that together this morning. What types of things does King Jesus do sitting and reigning at the right hand of God? Well, he does things like Pentecost, Pentecost. Let's think together for a moment. This is the story where a crowd is gathered together by miraculous works of the Holy Spirit and the Apostle Peter, full of the Spirit of God, begins to preach the gospel. He begins to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And look, look back really quickly to verse 37 of chapter 2. What did King Jesus do on that day as that word was going forth? He's reigning from his throne. And what kinds of things does this king do? And verse 37 gives us a description of... That this king stabs people in the heart. 3,000 people in a millisecond. Verse 37, Acts chapter 2, tells us that they were cut to the heart. They were sliced on the inside by the Spirit of God. They were convicted of their sin. The apostle Peter was not standing by himself preaching that day. Jesus was with him. Jesus was exercising his authority and his power as king over all on the day of Pentecost. And he reaches down in sovereign, holy power and he slices human hearts. He cuts them. He pierces them. And I want you to know that Jesus still does this today. Jesus still does this today because Jesus still reigns at the right hand of God. He cuts human hearts. And he brings conviction of sin. I heard a testimony about a young woman who is joining our church just this week, and I was reminded that King Jesus, he still swings that sword today with sovereign power to save. And she began to 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 tell her testimony with tears in her eyes that for her entire life she had been told she was a sinner. She knew she was a sinner. But in a moment of time, Jesus stabbed her in the heart. And for the first time in her life, she felt unclean before a holy God. She felt rebellious before a holy God. She felt unfit to be in his presence. What happened in those moments? She got cut by the spirit of God. She got sliced on the inside. Jesus reigning from his throne. He pierced her heart. With conviction of sin. He is a mighty king. Reigning at the right hand of God. And these are the types of things that he does. He he, he takes his enemies and he places them under his feet. He subdues rebellious human hearts. And on the day of Pentecost, this happened to 3,000 people at the same time. It was a mighty display of the power of. Of the risen Christ through the work of His Holy Spirit. So I want you to think about that. The the writer of Acts, the Holy Spirit, the entire Bible makes no apologies over and over and over again. we bump into this this theme running through Scripture. That God is sovereign in the salvation of man and woman. God is sovereign in the salvation of rebellious people. Human beings, And we see it here again. Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Jesus is king. 3,000 people got saved that day in one sermon. And let me tell you what didn't happen. Okay? Peter didn't walk off um, uh, the stage that day in that gathering like the MVP of the Super Bowl. Everybody saying, way to go, Peter. You really preached it down today, Peter. He gets no credit for this. There is a harvest of 3,000 souls and Peter doesn't get the, the, the clap and the handshake and the accolades. But what about these people? You know, poor Peter, he's the one that preached. Why don't he get the credit? What about these people? They're the ones that received the word of God on this day. They received it. That's exactly what it says in verse 31. They received the, forty-one. They received the word of God. And yet the writer of Acts, Luke, tells us that they don't even get the credit for it. And so I want us to start with this glorious theme in the Word of God that God is sovereign in salvation. Who gets the credit for Pentecost? And the answer to that is Jesus. Pentecost is Jesus is building His church. He gets the credit. He is building His church. He is reigning at the right hand of God. This is a display of of His sovereign, kingly power. And that power that He displayed on that day, He kept flexing. He kept showing that mighty strength in the book of Acts. And, we, and we'll start this morning at the very end of our passage in verse 47. We get this vivid description in verse 47. Every single day in the early church, somebody was getting their heart cut Convicted of their sins. And somebody's eyes were seeing the glory of Christ. And they were being saved every single day. And then look at what verse 47 tells us. Who gets the credit for that? And he tells us that the Lord added to their number. The Lord added to their number. That's the Kairos. That's Jesus in the New Testament. That is the risen resurrected, ascended, and reigning King. The Lord is adding to His church every single day. This is the sovereignty of God and the salvation of rebellious, sinful human beings. Jesus reigning from His throne. Now we talked about that quite a bit at Grace Community Church. And I don't want you to run from it. I want you to see it in the Word of God and worship God for it. The sovereignty of God and salvation. But what I want to do this morning is I want to take that a step further. And that's exactly what this trajectory of Acts chapter 2 does. It takes us a step further than God saving individuals. Jesus saving individuals. So I want you to think about that this morning. Okay? Jesus flexes his might and his power. And what happens when Jesus does that is people get saved, but that's not all that happens. okay? And what we see in Acts chapter 2 is that Jesus is doing more than saving individual sinners. He's gathering together a people. He's gathering together a people. This is the, the local church. He is, he's building a church. And so I want you to know this about Jesus. The real Jesus, the one who sits on the throne at the right hand of God right now. I want you to know this about him. He's about more than saving individual souls. He's about building local churches. He will build his church. And there's a trajectory in Acts chapter 2 that I I, I have a burden that you see it, That you see what we have here in Acts chapter 2. And so I want you to think about this. This passage shows us the importance of the local church, the importance of the local church. And this is a really good reminder for us because we live in an autonomous culture where we see ourselves as isolated and autonomous. And we have a really bad tendency to see ourselves as autonomous, even in our relationship with Christ. But the Bible tells us differently. The Bible tells us that we are members of a body. That when we got saved, we were made members of a body. We are a, a, a part of a group of people, the church of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to think about this. What happens? Spirit of God is poured out at Pentecost. People receive the gospel. People are baptized. And what's the very next move? In the word of God is that people are gathered into a local church. People are gathered into a local church. This is what it looks like to be filled with the spirit of God is to be a church member. Okay, this is what it looks like to be a true convert of Jesus Christ is to be a church member. This is what immediately follows someone being stabbed in the heart, receiving the gospel, baptized, and church member. It's the very next move in the book of Acts. And so what we see is that from the very beginning of the church, salvation from sin and church membership are welded together from the very beginning. And God never intended one without the other. Salvation from and church membership. Listen to this quote from Matthew Henry. Famous Puritan. He says when we take God for our God. We take his people for our people. It's, it's a compact deal. We, we don't separate Jesus from the body of Christ. To follow Jesus as Lord is to be a member of his body. And what that means is that this passage confronts, it confronts professing Christians that have little to no relationship with the local church. It's a confrontation to you. If you profess to follow Jesus Christ and you have little to no relationship with the local church, you're being confronted by the word of God this morning. And and in the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to expose that to you. I want to help you today, if that's you. Because this confronts that idea, even though that idea is very prevalent in our culture. Our culture is saturated with this idea. It's just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus are fine. Or I love Jesus, but I can't stand the church. The church is his bride. This is like telling a man, I like you, but I can't stand your wife. Jesus is offended by that. You can't do this. You can't divorce the church from Jesus Christ. So I want you to hear me out this morning. What do we see in Acts chapter 2? The immediate response of these converts is they begin to live the Christian life together in community. As faithful members of a local church. They were devoted to Jesus. They live for Jesus every single day. But we're going to see that the shape that their life took looked like a faithful church member. That's what being devoted to Jesus Christ looks like. Being a faithful church member. I want you to listen to this. This is a quote from 2nd century church father Cyprian. And he says this. It's a famous quote. He says, no one can have God for his father. Who does not have the church for his mother. No one can have God for his father. Who does not have the church for his mother. Now let me tell you what we don't mean by saying that. We don't mean that the church gives anyone salvation. No ma'am. No sir. Never. Jesus gives salvation. But what we do mean is this. That when King Jesus does an authentic work in someone's life. That's called regeneration. New birth. They're made a new human being. And they're given a new heart. And what their relationship to the to the local church shows us. Is if in fact they have been given that new heart. That loves the people of God. It's an evidence of conversion. The church doesn't give anyone salvation. But it is a mark that someone has been transformed by the gospel. So I want you to think about th- that this morning. Church membership It really is that serious. It really is that essential that your life is immersed into the body of Christ. Jesus did not design for you to live the Christian life by yourself. It's not made that way. So if you're here today and you you profess to follow Jesus Christ. Even if you are a member of this local church or another local church, if you're here today professing to follow Jesus Christ and you have been unfaithful to join and be devoted to a local church, I want you to hear me out. Maybe you've been unfaithful as a church member because you're ignorant and you had no idea that it's this important as what we're talking about right now. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you've been unfaithful as a church member and you've been sinning with your eyes wide open. Okay? Either one of those two scenarios. My encouragement to you today is that you sin no more. That you repent of this. That you resolve in obedience to Jesus Christ to find a healthy local church. To join a healthy local church. To be a devoted Faithful member of a healthy local church to serve Jesus Christ with that group of people. That's my exhortation. That's my plea to you this morning. You are not designed to live the Christian life by yourself. So Acts chapter 2 verse 42. We are being exposed to the importance of the local church. Now let's begin to press into this. This morning, if you want to find a healthy local church, then you need to pay attention to verse 42. If you as a member of Grace Community Church, if we want to grow as a local church, verse 42 tells us the areas that we need to be strengthened in. So we're going to give attention to this, that when they began to devote themselves to Christ together, verse 42 sheds tremendous light on the things that they began to do. So I want to read that again. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, I want to start with that word devoted. That's an important word. And I and I want I want to sharpen your understanding of that word this morning. If you look down in verse 46. 46. That word devoted is the same Greek word as the word attending in verse 46. And I think it's going to really help you to see the flow of this passage and the main theme of this passage emerge. If you think about that word being this, that they were constantly attending these four things. That's what devotion looked like in the early church. Constantly attending. It looked like church Attendance. Okay. I want you to think about that. It's impossible for you to be devoted to anything your church does unless you're there. Right. And this tells us that they were devoting themselves, that they were constantly attending the meetings of the church and that they were participating in these activities. And I want to camp here for just a moment on church attendance. Listen to Mark Dever. Um, this is a quote on church attendance from Mark Dever. He says this, The most fundamental duty Christians have in relation to the church is the duty to regularly attend the gatherings of the congregation. The most fundamental duty. That means it comes first before everything else. Why? Because everything else is built off that. Surely surely we, we get that, right? Like getting there And attending is the baseline. You can't do anything else unless you're there. Unless you are constantly attending the meetings of the church. You cannot fulfill your corporate responsibilities and obey the commands that Jesus has given you to one another. You cannot do that unless you were there. And these 3,000, they were there. And you know why? Because they got stabbed in the heart by the Spirit of God. And they experienced a real regeneration. They were a real new creation. They have a new heart that loves the people of God. They were there. When the church gathered, they were there. They were constantly attending these meetings. And we'll come back to that as we close today. This concept of church attendance. Being at church. Being with the people of God. And I want us to notice what what types of things that they began to do at these meetings. And we get a fourfold description in verse 42. And this is a sketch of a healthy local church, a spirit-filled church. And the first thing that we're told is they're constantly attending the apostles' teaching. They're constantly going to hear the apostles teach. So let's think about that for a moment. Because that don't happen today. At least not in the way that it did for them. We're talking about apostles. Now we're not talking about Apostle Billy Bob down the road. We're talking about an authorized representative of Jesus Christ. We're talking about one of the men whose name is carved into the walls of New Jerusalem. We're talking about the apostles of Jesus. The foundation of the church. Authorized representatives of Jesus Christ. Paul says he was the last one. This don't happen today. not At least not in the way that it happened for them. These were the apostles of Jesus Christ. And they went to hear him teach all the time. So I want us to think about that. These men were promised some very unique things by Christ. And one of the things that these men were promised... Is an infallible spirit inspired memory of everything that Jesus said. I want to read that to you in John chapter 14, verse 26 says this, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and he will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How did they remember all that stuff? I mean, how did they crank out that gospel story of Jesus four times over? How did they crank out all these apostolic letters in the New Testament? Jesus promised them that. That they would be the unique recipients of this spirit-inspired memory. They would remember everything that Jesus said. And that they would have this memory that was infallible. That way, when they turned and they passed on the teaching of Christ... The teaching of the the apostles was so infallible that their teaching became the teaching of Jesus himself. They spoke the words of Christ, the authoritative words from Christ. They laid the foundation of the church, authorized representatives of Jesus Christ, passing on the truth about Jesus perfectly and without error, perfectly and without error. And we still, to this day, decide what is true and what is false by the standard of apostolic teaching, the word of God, the New Testament. We have the words of the apostles today, not in Billy Bob down the road, but in the word of God, the canon of Scripture, the inspired books of the New Testament. Anybody who says they have more authority than those words is a liar, a false teacher and a false prophet. This is how we decide what the truth about Jesus is today. It's through the word of God. The book of Acts tells us that every single day the apostles were teaching about Jesus. I'm going to read this to you. Acts chapter 5 verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. By the way, verse 14 tells us that those teachings were confirmed by many signs and wonders. Many signs and wonders. Teaching of the apostles. They're daily distributing the truth about Jesus Christ, and these 3,000 are constantly going to hear them teach. Constantly going to hear them teach. How do we do this today? We can only only follow their example by principle. We cannot literally do what they did. We can't go to the temple. okay? That got torn down in 70 AD. Can't do that. And we can't go to physically and audibly hear an apostle speak to us. But here's what we can do, Grace Community Church. We can open the Word of God as we gather together every single week. And we can read the Word of God. And your church leaders can exposit the word of God and preach the truth to you every single week. This is how we do what they do. Is we gather up on the Lord's day and you hear expository preaching. Not cute, cool little ideas that me and Ron come up with. But God's word exposed to God's people. This is how we devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. I want you to think about, just for for a moment, why is hearing the Word of God so important? Why can't we just skip this and everybody just have their own private relationship with the Bible? And we just get together and sing and pray and then we go back and we scatter and everybody has their own private relationship with the Bible? Listen, you will never meet. Another human being, I don't believe, that's a bigger proponent of you having a private relationship of Jesus Christ through the Word of God. I believe that. I believe that you need that. But why are we commanded to do this? I want you to think about that. Why is that not enough? Why do we have to gather together in obedience to Jesus and and have a church leader, an appointed church leader, preach God's Word to us? Why? I want you to think about why is that so important? And this takes us right back to church membership. If you got to design what the Christian life looked like, it might look way more autonomous than it looks like in the New Testament. But you don't get to design what the Christian life looks like. Jesus does. And he ordained. Listen closely. Jesus, the head of the church has infinite wisdom and desires for you uh, uh, to be exceedingly fruitful. Jesus ordained that you would eat a spiritual meal given to you by the ordained leaders of your church through the preaching of God's word every single week. Jesus decided that you need that. Jesus did. And let's think about why. Ephesians chapter 4, you can turn there really quickly, gives us two descriptions of what happens in this spiritual meal. Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus, why'd you do it like that? And and Ephesians 4 at least gives us a partial answer, and it's twofold. That this time of hearing God's word is meant to equip you and protect you. Equip you and protect you. And you're going to see both of those. I'll start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. Right after he talks about giving the gift of pastor teachers to the local church, here's the very next words in Holy Scripture Ephesians 4 12. Why did you do that, Jesus? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. God has ordained and designed. For you to get stronger as a believer. For you to be built up as a believer. By you coming in this place on the Lord's day. And hearing your church leaders preach God's word to you. Jesus has designed that to be a means through which you get strength. Spiritual strength. Built up. Equipped. And then not only that. Look at verse 14. It says this. So that... We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This time is meant to protect you. You know what arrogance sounds like when we entertain thoughts in our mind? I don't need that. God's word says you do. God's word says that this is an appointed means through which you are protected from false doctrine, from being carried about by all these ways of doctrine. This time, hearing God's word from your church leaders. Listen. From your church leaders. Not internet preachers. Not celebrity preachers. Shepherds of God in your life. That have a burden to see you walk with Christ. That have a burden to see you delivered from sin. That have a real interest in your spiritual welfare. Your pastors. Your shepherds. Preaching God's word to you every single week. Giving you a meal. Hoping that the spirit of God comes. Trusting that the spirit of God comes. To make you strong and to protect you from false doctrine. You need this. From the very beginning, this is how the Christian life was designed. Corporate gatherings. Church leaders spreading spiritual meals. Feeding the the sheep the word of God. And you need this. As a believer, you need this. Number two, they were constantly attending Not only the preaching of the word, but it says the fellowship. Acts 2.42, the fellowship. And what this means is that they were devoted to the people of God. Does that make sense to you? Is that a foreign thing to you? They loved God's people. And in many places in God's word, this is spoken about, this, this idea, this theme. This is spoken about as a mark of true conversion. Evidence that you have been made new is that you love God's people. And they did. They did. They were devoted to the fellowship. They shared this common life together. And they had a real uh, interest in each other's welfare spiritually, emotionally, materially. They cared about each other because their lives were intertwined together because they're the body of Christ. One suffers, they suffer. One rejoices, they rejoice. That's the connectedness of the body of Jesus. This is what the Spirit of God produces when He does His authentic work. He does not make converts that don't care about the church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. And not only to worshiping together, their entire lives were bound up in one another's. To the point that they began to share each other's financial burdens. Look at verse 43, 44 and 45. It tells us that it held all things in common. They start unloading possessions to meet needs in the church. And I don't want you to misunderstand this. Okay, There's some ways to, to get your focus off here. The point of what's happening is they love the body of Christ. This is not, the way this is described in verse 44 and 45, this is not a one time event where everybody in the church of Jerusalem takes this collective vow of poverty and just gets rid of all their stuff. That's not what they did. The way the verb tenses are worded in the context, this was a repetitive thing that happened in this church over and over and over again. Somebody's got needs. Oh, that's my brother. I want to meet that need. Somebody's got a need. Oh, that's my sister in Christ. I want to meet that need. The goal of what they were doing is not to get rid of their stuff. The goal of what they were doing is to meet the needs of their church, their local church. They're devoted to each other. You rejoice, I rejoice. You weep, I weep. You suffer, I suffer. This is, this is the mark of the church that the Spirit of God builds. There was a constant, steady flow of resources to the needy. Number three. They constantly attended the breaking of bread. Now, this phrase can describe two different things in the New Testament. It can describe a common meal. and can also be a description of the Lord's Supper. And I believe that both of those elements are in play in our paragraph in this passage. We see both. We see common meals, and I believe we see the Lord's Supper. So let's walk through just a little bit of the detail together. When the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper, they celebrated it on the backside of a common meal called the love feast, the agape feast. So the practice of the early church was to have a common meal together, and they did that. In verse 46, it says they received their food. Okay? They're eating together. But they're doing more than eating together because on the backside of that meal, they're breaking bread in the remembrance of Jesus Christ. This is exactly how Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper through the breaking of bread. Later in the book of Acts, we find that the church is gathering together to, to break bread, to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And so they're doing both of these. Eating common meals and and, and enjoying each other's fellowship. And on the back side of that, they're celebrating the death of Jesus Christ for their sins. They're worshiping Jesus together. This This goes a little step further than just sharing some meals together. They're worshiping Jesus together at their tables. They're remembering Christ. Devoted. Constantly attending the breaking of bread. And verse 46 is really explicit about this. They did this every day. Verse 46. Day by day, they were doing this. At this point in church history, they were remembering Jesus Christ through the breaking of bread every single day. Every single day. Gathering up with believers Sharing a meal together and breaking bread every single day. Devotion. Their whole life is being saturated with the worship of Jesus Christ and loving his people. Number four. They're constantly attending the prayers. And and don't get confused. These are not four separate meetings of the local church. This stuff is happening together as they gather, whether that's a large gathering or a small gathering. They would pray together. True converts gather up to pray with Christians. That's the flow of, of, of Acts chapter 2. Spirit of God does a work and they pray together. Constantly devoted to praying together, calling on the name of God together. At this stage in church history, there wasn't yet a complete split with Judaism. And Acts chapter 3 verse 1 tells us that they're still participating at this time in the daily temple prayers. They would go to the temple and they would pray to the God of Israel. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, God of Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Daily they were going together to pray, to join into the prayers. Now, I've said this several times, but I want to make it explicit for us. That I do think in a very real sense the flow of Pentecost is showing us what does it look like when the Holy Spirit does a genuine work in a man or a woman's life. It looks like the local church. It looks like faithful membership in a local church. And I think that's a really good corrective for us. And I've heard Ryan say this many times. And and I just want you to consider this. That sometimes... Many times even, the problem, the real problem can be misdiagnosed in a local church. And way too much effort and and, and planning and creativity can be spent um, trying to solve the problems. You know, the American church. Man, how can we get people to the prayer meeting? You know, prayer meeting, you know, uh, nobody wants to pray. How can we get people to worship? How can we get people to small groups? How can we get them here? And what Acts chapter 2, at least what it's reminding us to be warned by, is that the problem might be deeper than how do we get believers to come to this stuff. The problem might be they've never been stabbed in the heart by the Holy Spirit. That they've never uh, been convicted of their sins. And because they've never been brought to the very bottom, they have a low view of Jesus Christ instead of Jesus being everything to them so Acts chapter 2 is reminding us that church membership can be, uh, the lack of, can be a dangerous mark of false conversion. The The problem might run deeper than a lack of attendance. It might mean you don't care about Christ or His body. We'll come back to that. And we need to hold up at Grace Community Church... This high standard of church, uh, of what it means to be a faithful church member. If our culture snatches this down all the time, Acts 2 is sitting there like a beacon holding it up. No, nope. true converts and disciples of Jesus Christ, they're devoted to the, to the local church. They're there, they're, they're in attendance, their whole life is being swallowed up by the things of Jesus Christ. Together, together, it's our job as a faithful church to hold up that high standard. To hold up that high standard. Now, we jump back and we get 30,000 feet above this passage and we begin to ask, you know, what's the main thing here? And I want you to notice in, 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 in this passage of scripture that, that there are details here that could be uh, standalone sermons easy. Each of those four things in verse 42 could be its own sermon. In fact, we've done that at Grace Community Church. There's some details about the sharing that could be its own sermon. About the Lord adding to the church could be its own sermon. And what I want to do instead is I want to get that 30,000 foot view. And I want to ask, what's the main thing that we see here? And I was really struck by this. And and I was was thankful to our God in light of some things that we are, are going through as a local church. That I believe the theme that emerges in this passage, the main thing, is the togetherness of the church. That when the Spirit of God did a work, He welded them to a family, to a group of people. And they're so together that you can't even hardly unravel their lives from each other. They're together. They're entangled together. They have a mutual interest. They're living the Christian life together. Every single thing we see here happens corporately, not individually. They're praising God together. They're praying together. They're hearing God's word together. They're sharing together. They're taking the Lord's Supper together. They're always together, every single day. Togetherness of the church. In verse 46, get this description day by day, attending the temple. And then it also says in their homes. So they're together daily, every day. And they're in the temple and they're in the homes. They're having large meetings with everybody there. They're having smaller meetings with fewer people there. Every day. They would meet in the temple. Collectively, This was one of the places in Jerusalem, one of the only places that was large enough for several thousand people to gather together and have a corporate gathering. And so they continued to use the temple specifically. The book of Acts tells us that they gathered in Solomon's portico on the outer courts of the temple. Three thousand plus would gather up and hear the apostles teach the word of God. They would worship God. They would pray. They would share together. And then this text tells us, and then they split into smaller groups of at least a hundred or less because they had to fit into homes. And they began to crowd into these homes and share common meals together and worship Christ together and praise God together and pray together. Every day, together, they're together. Their lives are bound up in each other. Reminds me of First Thessalonians. Chapter three, he says, now I live if you are standing fast in the Lord. That's how welded together their life was. The people of God together. So they met together. They heard God's word together. They prayed together, remembered Jesus together. And they took a real interest in the lives of other Christians. They weren't solo followers of Christ. And they weren't selfish followers of Christ. They cared about their brothers and sisters. And they did this in a big service and in a small service. So I want you to think about that. That sounds a lot like what we do at Grace Community Church. We gather together and we hear God's word. We hear God's word. We gather together and we pray. We gather together and we remember Jesus Christ almost every single week. At this local church. We celebrate the death of Christ. We freshly participate in the new covenant. That was inaugurated by the blood of Jesus. We take a real spiritual interest. In each other's lives. We even meet real tangible needs. On a consistent basis at this local church. There's opportunities for all of us At this church. And we do it in big groups. And we do it in small groups. We have a large service every week and we break down into smaller groups throughout the week. What do you know, brothers and sisters? Right from Acts chapter 2. Right from Acts chapter 2. And I really want to encourage you with that 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 the way that we're going about this, this is not the wisdom of man. This is not oh, this sounds good. This would be good if we do this. How about we do this? Well, this ain't working. How about we do this? That's not our job. Our job is what does the word of God say? And we're convinced of that. We're convinced that God has helped us. We're not perfect. We need to grow. But we're convinced that God has helped us in this. That this is church according to the Bible. Church according to the Bible. Gathered up and doing these things. Gathered up constantly. Lives lived together. Grace Community Church. I want to just mention something to you. Before we move past this. If you're convinced. That this really is biblical. That this standard. This is not you know. The green beret Christians. This is 3,000. Every single one of them. Every single member. Of the body of Christ. Devoted to these things. And once you see that. In Acts chapter 2. I want to plead with you for a moment. I just want to help you think. About faithful church membership. I want to speak to anybody who struggles with these things. That's a member of Grace Community Church. And I want to show you that. That these things are in the Bible. When we ask you, as shepherds in your life, to faithfully attend a corporate gathering of your church, to faithfully attend a small group at this church. And to faithfully practice hospitality in your home. We are not asking you to do too much. We're not. We're not asking you to perform for us. We're calling you to obey the word of God. This is the standard. This is what happens when the spirit of God creates a people together. He's not just doing an individual thing. These are kingdom standards. This is standards from King Jesus. And we want to walk in them. We want to walk in together. We want to be helped by God. And so I want us to walk out of this place today with a resolve to be a more faithful member of the church of Jesus Christ. A resolve, a real resolve. And I want to close today with this picture of togetherness of the local church. And I want to warn us particularly about the wicked sin of Hebrews 10 Chapter uh, Hebrews 10, verse 25. Turn there with me. The wicked sin of Hebrews 10, 25. Let's read it together. It says this. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. The wicked sin Is neglecting the meetings of your local church. I want to say a few things about that. The first thing I want to say is that this is in fact a sin. This is a a sin that people in this culture. They don't even wink at. But this is a commandment to be obeyed in the word of God. That you are expected by Christ to faithfully attend. The meetings of your local church. Not coming together with God's people is sin. It is rebellion against Christ. I'm not trying to hype up um, extra guilt. I just want all the guilt that's supposed to be there. It's rebellion. It is, it, is, it is breaking commandments of King Jesus. And then I want you to think about the wickedness of it. It's not just a little deal. It's a big deal. Especially when this becomes habitual in someone's life, as is the habit of some. It's not a little deal. It's a big deal. I want you to think about the arrogance of the refusal to attend the gatherings of the church. I want you to think about it as an expression of tremendous arrogance. Tremendous arrogance. I want you to think with me for a moment of what someone removes themselves from. When they when they refuse, when they forsake the meeting of ourselves together, they remove themselves from hearing the preaching of God's word. Spiritual suicide. God is giving you shepherds; He's gifted them to care for you and to watch out for your soul. And for you to say, "Oh, that's a gift of Christ. Yeah, I see all that, but now nah, I don't need it." I don't need that. I don't need that spiritual meal. I just find by myself. Arrogance. Arrogance. Rebellion. When someone doesn't come to the church meeting. They remove themselves from participating in the Lord's Supper. Jesus says this. Take. Eat of it. All of you. And they say. No. I don't need it. Fine. Just by myself. man. Nah. Arrogance. Arrogance. Jesus designed for you to be strengthened, for you to worship Him by remembering Him through this supper, even weekly. To neglect it is arrogance. They also remove themselves from corporate prayer. We, as the church, we're entering into the presence of God and, and we're calling out to God, God, help us. Deliver us from sin. Make us like Jesus Christ. Make us fruitful for your glory. Help us, Lord. Pour out your Holy Spirit. We're drawing down mercy from heaven together, collectively. And they say, Nah, I don't need it. I'm fine by myself. Neglecting the church meeting is arrogance. It's arrogance. It's arrogance. And not only arrogance, it shows a tremendous lack of love for the body of Christ. It's selfish and it shows a tremendous lack of love. When a person removes themselves from the meeting, they remove themselves from the people of God. The bride of Jesus Christ. The ones who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. They remove themselves from the people of God i want you to think about this being a loveless thing for you not to be here would be a loveless thing for your brothers and sisters think about this for just a moment you are commanded to build this church up to build it up to make it strong to make it to help us to grow in places where we're weak you are gifted by the spirit of God to help us how are you going to do that if you're not here how are you going to help us if you're not here? And if you're not here, does that not show a tremendous lack of love for this church? That you don't have a real burden in a heart to see us grow in the image of Jesus Christ. It's loveless. It's loveless. What about sharing with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you know that it's possible to be in love with the idea of generosity? With the idea of simplicity. But that stuff gets a a zip code in the local church. And you get a real opportunity to start walking out this stuff. To care for your brothers and sisters. So think about that. Is this not a loveless thing? How are you going to meet the needs of your brothers and sisters? You have people in your local church that are needy. They have needs. They have spiritual needs. Emotional needs. They have physical needs. How are you going to meet them? If you're not even there frequently enough to know people's name. Does it not? Does does, does forsaking the meeting of ourselves together. Does it not show tremendous lack of love. To the body of Christ. Tremendous lack of love. Last example here. Galatians 6. Talks about someone who is caught in transgression caught in transgression how are you going to help your brothers and sisters who are being choked by sin they're being choked out by sin they are being drowned by Satan he wants to kill them he wants to destroy them and God put them in a family so they get some help How are you going to help them? Those who are drowning, those who are caught up in sin, how are you going to help them if you're not there? You're not there. Do you see this? Please, I hope you do. Do you see this? That not being in the church faithfully is a tremendous lack of love. Tremendous lack of love. Selfish, wicked sin. The last thing I want to say is it's a dangerous sin to persist in. Forsaking the assembly is a dangerous sin to, pers- to persist in. Ryan and I and other um, disciples of Jesus in this church, we've witnessed this over and over and over again. When someone neglects fellowship, it never stays by itself. It always graduates to other sin. Why? Because they were not meant to live the Christian life on their own. Whether that sin is sexual sin. Whether that sin is drunkenness. Or whether that sin is worldliness in love with the world and don't give a rip about Jesus. Whatever it is. So many times the common thread has been pulled away from the body of Christ. Then walking in some other sin. It's dangerous to stay there. It's dangerous to keep disobeying this commandment. It's dangerous. And I want to convince you of that. I want us to feel that warning for ourselves personally from the Holy Spirit. That it is dangerous to neglect fellowship with the body of Christ. Dangerous. Even now, we are about to head into... A church discipline meeting to deal with this very sin and this very scenario. Habitual neglect of the body of Christ leading to further sin. This has happened. This is happening now. And we can expect that this is going to be a pattern of some in the Christian life. That they're going to, that they're going to pull away from the body of Christ. And when they do, we need to go after them and pull them in. And pull them in. Because we know that this thing is dangerous. This is like holding fire next to your chest, being disconnected from the body of Christ. And I want to close with a with a verse that reminds us that one of the God appointed means of us persevering to the very end is being in close fellowship with the body of Christ. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter three, verse thirteen. Last verse. And it says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. God has given you means through which you will die a faithful Christian. And one of those means is faithful contact With the body of Christ. I want us to take this to heart today. Especially if you are in a minority. And praise God, this is a minority of people that I'm speaking to. But if you are the type of disciple of Jesus that has to be constantly pulled in to the things of God, where are you at, brother? Where are you at, sister? How you know how how are you doing when coming to the gatherings? You know, how, how how are you getting fellowship? Pulling them in, pulling them in, pulling them in. And it's like that over and over again in your life. I want you to be extremely warmed. About the danger of persisting in this sin. I want the Spirit of God to convince you of its importance. And for you to turn from sin. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you want to die an apostate? Do you want to die an apostate? Do you want to die a heretic? Do you want to die as someone who renounces the Lord Jesus Christ? Or do you want to die faithfully trusting Jesus Christ, your Savior? Answer that question for yourself. And if you really mean that, that you want to die filled with faith in Jesus Christ, then I want you to understand that one of the means by which that will happen in your life is through being exhorted by the body of Christ. Faithfully around the body of Christ. Why? So that none of you, would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. It doesn't have to happen in a heinous way. You can fall away from Jesus and it can look just fine in your life. No drug addiction, no heinous sin. All you have to do is stop giving a rip about Christ and you die an apostate. We need to take warning. We need to take heed that we need the body of Christ that none of us, would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is the exhortation today, Acts chapter 2, that we would be faithful members of our local church. Faithful members of our local church, that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Let's pray. Father, we want to praise you today that... Your church is something that you built and that you build even to this day. Lord. And we have participated, God, in this gracious gift, Lord, that you have given us a family in this city and you surrounded us with brothers and brothers and sisters whom our soul loves. And God, we ask that today that you would give us tremendous help in this area of faithfulness to your body. God, I pray that You would strengthen the weak today. That You would admonish the idle today. Lord, do it. Let Your Word have an effect. Lord, let it bear fruit in this local church. In the name of Jesus, Amen.